Bibles, uh, let's be in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Hopefully at this point you know uh, who wrote the book of Acts, Luke, Dr. Luke. Uh, he is a Gentile and the only Gentile author of, uh, found within the New Testament. Uh, but he's writing a continuation of the ministry and work of Jesus through the church. Uh, that's his focus. Uh, and one of the things that we discussed last week was this idea that uh, we observe the power of Jesus' name. The power of Jesus' name. We see that uh, uh, very prominent in Acts chapter 3. And one of the observations that we made was this. Uh, wherever there is divine operation, there will be demonic opposition. Anytime you have uh, God is at work doing something, you can rest assured the devil is going to do everything that he can to oppose it. And uh, so wherever there's divine operation, anticipate and expect uh, demonic opposition. Uh, we can ass rest assured that every single time a decision is made for Christ, that uh, something uh, is going to happen that is going to be challenged. That decision is going to be challenged. So real quick recap of last week, uh, as far as the narrative is concerned, because uh, we have to have that background to kind of know what's going on with chapter 4. Last week, Peter and John were headed to the temple for a time of prayer. It was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon was the prayer time. They're on their way. They saw a man who had been lame uh, since he was born. Uh, he w hasn't been able to walk his entire life. And on their way in, they said, silver and gold, we don't have any, but what we do, can't, we can give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And they healed this man in the power and the authority of Jesus' name. And then as a result, a huge crowd gathered around, uh, some of them in opposition. And uh, Peter saw that as the opportunity to minister and preach to the masses. And so he preached the gospel. And uh, people responded to that. So he, he, he took advantage of that opportunity, shared the gospel, and a lot of people uh, were saved. So that's the backdrop. That's what has just taken place. Then we get to chapter 4. And we're going to see a continuing of what's, what happened next. You know, what happened after Peter preaches the sermon? Uh, people start getting saved. Well, how do the religious leaders respond to that? What, are, what is their response? And, and uh, how does all that relate to us? What can we learn from it? Well, let's jump in uh, this morning with key point number one. Uh, key point number one is this. When others cannot see the truth, only speak in alignment with the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to unpack that. Uh, a little bit this morning, but it's important when others cannot see the truth that we speak in alignment with the Holy Spirit. It's interesting because we live in a culture that struggles with truth. We live in a culture that struggles with knowing what is true. Uh, we live in a culture that people even deny that truth is even possible. Um, we live in a culture that rejects everything. In fact, I want, to, I want to show you a video that if I had shown this video uh, 10 years ago, we would have, we would probably still enjoy it and laugh, but we would have just said, you know, what, what, what's, what's the big deal about that video? You show it today, and there's a segment of our culture, of our population, that would consider this a very controversial video. Um, I don't think it's controversial at all, but it, it has become that. And, uh, but I do want you to check this out. It's about a two-minute clip, and then we'll come back on the other side. So check out this, this two-minute video. 
Each one of these paper clips has its own job to do. Here's here are a couple other different kinds. And yet they're all called paper clips. Here. And here's another one. This is a small one that's strong. Each one is is fancy. Mm -hmm. In its own way, just the way each person is fancy in his or her own way. Some are fancy on the outside. Some are fancy on the inside. Yes, sir. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. Boys are boys from the beginning. If you were born a boy, you stay a boy. Girls are girls right from the start. If you were born a girl, you stay a girl and grow up to be a lady. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. Only girls can be the mummies. Only boys can be the daddies. Yes, sir. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. I think you're a special person, and I like your ins and outsides. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy. And so is mine. Did you spot the controversy? <laughs> we, we laugh at how crazy it is. Our culture no longer uh, knows the difference between a boy and a girl. Our, our culture uh, has, has dismissed things that um, for millennia, we would say it's, well, it's pretty obvious, right? I mean, what it is. Uh, that very statement can be upsetting to some people. But what I want us to do this morning, as we, as we turn to Acts chapter 4, what we're going to see is we're going to see a group of people that are going to deny reality. They're going to, um, they don't even want to, they don't even want to speak about it. They, they, they uh, want to ignore it. And uh, it's very much, the, you know, the, uh, like the culture that we live in today. So let's turn to the scriptures, and then we'll come back to this idea here in just a moment. Acts chapter 4, let's read verses 1 through 12. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees, came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them. And put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed. Now, let me pause there for a moment. You heard me say this, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Sequence is always important. One of the things that we saw very early on in Acts was they believed and were baptized. Sequence is always important. What did they do first? Believe. Then they were baptized. Well, this takes us back even further. It says those who heard the word did what? Believed. 
So there has to be a proclamation of the word. The word goes forth and then belief. Then once there's belief, then there's baptism. So we can, we can see a sequence of these things. Let's keep going. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So they're growing rapidly. If you remember Acts chapter 1, just a few chapters earlier, we're talking 120 people. Then it jumps to 3,000 people, and now it jumps to 5,000 people. Verse 5, and it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and as many as were in the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Did you notice that? I want you to consider that just for a moment. I want you to take notice they didn't even want to refer to the event as a miracle. They didn't say, you know, by what power or what authority did you perform this miracle? It is, by what power, what authority did you do this? This. Very um, avoiding reality. This. They don't even want to acknowledge it. Verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, Peter does not back down, does he? Peter didn't back down from truth. Peter sees it. Peter sees exactly what's going on here. He doesn't back down from truth. He wasn't afraid to speak the truth. And there is a strong pressure, even in our culture today, to go along with the crowd, right? There's a pressure of, if you say something like, boys are boys from the beginning, and boys grow up to be the daddies, and you say that out loud in culture, and this is going out on social media, and, you know, what are the consequences of that? What will the consequences? Well, we're, we're, we'll look at that. Because it isn't easy to stand up against those who have the power and authority to make things difficult for you. And that's exactly what's happening here with Peter and John. They're standing in a situation where the people who can have a, make things really hard for Peter and John. Um, and they don't even want to acknowledge that a miracle has happened. So, are you familiar with the, the literary folk tale called The Emperor's New Clothes, Hans Christian Andersen? Are you familiar with that? The phrase itself, emperor's new clothes, has become an idiom to refer to, to something that is widely accepted or even professed or celebrated by the masses due to an unwillingness of the general population to criticize it or to say, that's not true. Um, just to challenge those things or, or to, to just simply be seen as going against the popular opinion. And even when it's obvious, even when it's super obvious that you're going against the crowd, you're going against the, the norms, it, it's increasingly difficult to stand up for truth in our culture. 
it's becoming uh, that if you do, you will be labeled, you will be canceled. You'll be, I mean, there's so many, so many consequences to just standing up for truth. So how do we navigate that? How do we, how do we work through that? Because people want to argue over everything. In our culture today, uh, people want to argue, does two plus two truly equal four? Is that, is that I mean, I'm not kidding. I mean, th those are things that are being debated and, and being argued and saying that two plus two is only four because you say that it's four. And you're going, no, that's how math works. And, and they're going, no, you, you don't understand. You know, you, you know, someone just decided that. No, they just decided it. They just decide that. You know, you say something like only boys can be dads. Oh, and it's, it's controversial. And, and in our culture, we, you know, if we say those things, you know, what are the consequences? Now, consider this. The Sanhedrin, this is who arrested Peter and John. The Sanhedrin arrests Peter and John, brings them into their council. So you have Peter and John over here. You have the Sanhedrin over here. Sanhedrin thinks they're doing what? They think they're defending truth. Peter and John think they're doing what? They're defending truth. So you see the clash. So what's, how, do, how do we navigate that? When both sides in a culture are coming at this and one side's going, we see the truth, we know the truth, and the other, guy, the other side is saying, no, we're defending the truth. You're corrupting it. We're the defenders of truth. And historically, the Sanhedrin, that would have been their job, right? I mean, that's, that's what they did. So you've got people who are saying, we're the defenders of truth. And they're going, no, we're the defenders of truth. What's the difference? What's the difference between the two? And that was the question I had as I'm reading through this, and I'm going, clearly the Sanhedrin thought they were on the right, the right side of things, and clearly Peter and John. How, what, what made the difference between the two? in their debate back and forth. Look at verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, you want to be on the right side? If the Holy Spirit's leading your words, you're on the right side. Think about that. Peter's words were filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? We talked about this before. Make sure you, make sure you remember this. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is this idea. This is, this is not his salvation moment. This is, not a, this is just simply it's saying to be filled with Spirit is to be controlled by the Spirit. I use this example often. You ever heard the phrase, he was just filled with anger? What do we mean by that? Anger took over. Anger controlled him. And if, if anger is what is controlling him, you say they're filled with anger. You're saying that anger is what's controlling them. In the same way, we would say Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. What we're saying is that the Holy Spirit is controlling him. The Holy Spirit, he is so consumed with the Spirit of God that the things that he is saying are just not of himself and what he wants and what he wants to argue about, but rather he is speaking in, from, from the Holy Spirit's indwelling within him. So the Sanhedrin wasn't then defending truth, what were they defending? They're defending their positions of authority. They were walking in the flesh. So that's the contrast that we have here. We have both groups claiming to be defending truth, 
One group is walking in the flesh of what they want. The other, Peter and John, are walking in the Spirit, doing things that they desire, not, not just that they desire, but what God desires. Peter and John were defending truth because they, the focus wasn't on them. The focus was on honoring Jesus. So don't miss this. Unless you're, you become yourself like the Pharisees, and you, in your, defense, in your defense of truth, we can quickly find ourselves like the Pharisees. We think we're defending truth, but in reality, we're only promoting what we want. So we have to be careful, because we can very quickly confuse which, which side of the debate we're on. Because whatever comes out of our mouth in defense of truth, it should be matched up against what does God's word say and what would the Holy Spirit lead us to say? Because if it's contrary to God's word, we're not speaking filled with the spirit. We're speaking of the flesh. We're, we're on the wrong side of this debate. And if we're not careful, we can claim to be defending the truth and actually be walking in our own flesh. That's the difference. That's the difference between these two groups. The Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, allowed their own political motives to cloud their ability to see what was right. They believed that they were defending the truth, but in reality, they were walking in the flesh. Peter and John, in contrast, were what? Fishermen. Fishermen who kept their eyes on truth by focusing on Jesus and only speaking things that were in complete alignment with the Holy Spirit. So, we have to walk in the, in the Spirit. We can't walk in the flesh. We have to walk in the Spirit if we're going to defend truth. The best way that we can defend truth is simply by walking in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, and we will be defending truth. When others cannot see the truth, hear me on this, when others cannot see the truth, speak in alignment with the Holy Spirit. Then and only then, can eyes be opened and that you make sure that you're on the right side of the argument because otherwise you can fall into the trap, fall into the temptation of being on the other side, thinking you're defending truth when in reality you're just doing what, what, what benefits you and not what the Lord desires. So we have, if we speak in our own authority, we're speaking in the flesh. We simply find ourselves in the middle of conflict, uh, in the middle of arguments, in the middle of debates. If, however, we speak as the Holy Spirit leads and we speak in alignment with God's Word, then we are defending truth. And otherwise, we're just engaging in meaningless arguments that can actually be counterproductive to the kingdom of God.